This talk is going to be quite a short one. Um, I gave it to camera on Thursday, um, just in case I was not well enough to give the talk this evening, and it came out at 36 minutes, and I'm going to try and shave six minutes off, so it's only 30 <laughs> minutes, because I know that evening talks are quite difficult to stay with. It could be quite a long evening with a long talk and a puja as well, so I'll try and keep it quite short. Um, I think the best way to... Um, describe um, the difference between the Buddha I spoke about this morning, the human historical Buddha trying to get close to his humanity and the kind of Buddha or the dimension of the Buddha I'm going to speak about this evening. The best way to sort of com compare those two is by, first of all, I'll just read you the beginning of a Pali Sutta and I'm just going to open this book at random. Uh, no, that doesn't have the beginning of a Sutta in. Um, here we are. Thus have I heard. Once the exalted one was staying near Rajagaha in Great Grove at the squirrel's feeding ground. On that occasion, the venerable Vakali was staying in the potter's shed. Potter's shed. Being sick. Oh, two themes from this morning at random here. Afflicted, stricken with a sore disease. And it goes on like that. So that's how that one begins. Let's just take another one. Uh, once the exalted one was staying near Vesali at Great Grove in the house with the peat gable, then and the begin and the story begins. So that's how the Pali Suttas begin. They're very very simple. Uh, and what I want to do now is read you the beginning of the Vimalakirti Nidesha, which is a Mahayana text. Reverence to the all Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, Arishravakas, and Pratyeka Buddhas in the past, the present, and the future. Thus have I heard at one time, the Lord Buddha was in residence in the garden of Ambapali, in the city of Vaishali, attended by a great gathering. Of bhikshus there were 8,000, all saints. They were free from impurities and afflictions, and had attained, all had attained self-mastery. And it describes then for a short paragraph. Then it goes on. Of Bodhisattvas there were 32,000 great spiritual heroes who were universally acclaimed. Then it describes those Bodhisattvas over many paragraphs. A couple of pages it looks like. It goes on and on and on. Yep, and it mentions many of them by name. There's a whole paragraph of names. Then there were also gathered there 10,000 Brahmas, gods, at their head, Brahma Sikhin, who had come from the Ashoka universe with its four sectors to see, venerate and serve the Buddha and hear the Dharma from his own mouth. There were 12,000 chakras, etc, etc. That goes on for a longish paragraph. Then, the Lord Buddha, thus surrounded and venerated by these multitudes of many hundreds of thousands of living beings sat upon a majestic lion throne and began to teach the Dharma, dominating all the multitudes, just as Sumeru, the king of mountains, looms high over the oceans, the Lord Buddha shone, radiated and glittered as he sat upon his magnificent lion throne. And then the action begins, like two pages later. So I wanted to read, read you that 
um, partly to show the difference between the opening of a Pali Sutra and the opening of a Mahayana Sutra. Uh, but also just because I love that. I really love that section. I love that description of the Buddha on the lion throne, glittering and shining and just absolutely wonderful. So uh, this talk is called um, The Buddha Beyond the Buddha. And this phrase comes from uh, one of the papers that Sabuti wrote in conversation with Sangharakshita. And I can't remember which paper it was now, which of one of his seven papers, but it's in one of them. And it comes out of a discussion of the famous, again, Vishanka mentioned this last night, of the famous sutta called the Gaurava Sutta, where the Buddha, uh, soon after his enlightenment, looks around the whole universe for somebody he could revere. He wants to revere someone. And he's very disappointed to find that there's no one in the universe he can really look up to. And that's bad news for him. You know, he wants someone to look up to. So he decides to revere the Dharma instead. Now, the Buddha revering the Dharma is interesting because obviously it doesn't mean, say, he's revering the formulations of the Dharma that he has formulated himself, like the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. He means something principial, the, the actual Dharma, the principial Dharma. He's, he decides to revere that. So, in this paper, um, uh, Sangharakshita uh, puts forward the idea that perhaps this is what the Pure Land Sutras are all about. The Pure Land Sutras are those Mahayana Sutras with, that describe the Pure Land um, Sukhavati with Amitabha at the centre of them all. And perhaps, he muses, the idea would, there is that um, what the, the authors of those sutras were trying to do would, would give content to the Buddha's... Um, revering of the Dharma. What is the Dharma that the Buddha <coughs> reveres? Perhaps uh, it's something like the Pure Land and Amitabha. So that's that's one of his ideas there. So, um, it's time I think I, be, I told you about the Trikaya Doctrine, the famous Trikaya Doctrine, which is rather philosophical. Um, and uh, this came from a, a school of Buddhism called the Yogacara school. And uh, they, were, they were meditators, basically, that school. They really did a lot of meditation, and a lot of their ideas came from their meditation experience. And apparently about the 4th century Common Era, which is eight, nine, maybe a thousand years after the time of the Buddha himself, uh, they came up with this idea of, of the Trikaya doctrine. So tri means three and kaya is body. So it's the, the, the doctrine of the three bodies of the Buddha, uh, which you could say is three different ways of seeing the Buddha, depending on what kind of level you're at. And uh, the first of these bodies, these kayas, is the nirmana kaya. And that, that's the, the nirmana, nirmana kaya, which is what I was talking about this morning. The nirmana kaya is the human historical Buddha, the Buddha who actually lived two and a half thousand years ago in India. Uh, nirmana actually means um, transformation. And uh, another possible title for this is the Rupakaya. Now, Rupa simply means form, physical form. The Buddha in his ordinary physical form. And you would think, well, why not call it the Rupakaya? Why Nirmana? Why the transformation body? Well, this is because not all of the early schools considered that the Buddha really was simply a human being. 
like you and I. He was born, uh, grew up, left home, um, sought out the Dharma and eventually became enlightened and then, well not eventually, became enlightened and then he taught for the rest of his life until he attained Parinirvana. Um, the Theravadins think that the Buddha was a human being and so do some of the other schools. But some of those ancient schools considered that the Buddha was always transcendental and that he only appeared to be born. He only appeared to grow up. He only appeared to leave home and so on and so on. He only appeared to gain enlightenment at a certain time because he's eternally enlightened. So the, the, the Nirmanakaya the, is the transformation body. It's that eternal Buddha transforming into an ordinary human body. One of my questions for you tomorrow is what do you think of that as an idea? I'll let you talk about that tomorrow. I'm not going to say any more about that. The second of the kayas is the Samboga Kaya and Samboga literally means enjoyment. And here the idea is it's the Buddha that you see in your meditation when you're in jhana, and it's the Buddha that spontaneously appears in front of you or almost in a dream. I was talking to someone today who has these amazing archetypal dreams, which I wish I had, but I hardly ever do, if ever. But um, it's the kind of Buddha, the, the body of the Buddha that appears to you as um, not like a human figure, but like really gold and like the, like the, the description I just read to you from the Vimanakirti and Adesha, glittering on this massive lion throne and so on. So that's the Samboga, and it's called the enjoyment because you'll experience the Buddha in that way and it'll be really pleasurable, it'll be really blissful. You could say it's the blissful body of the Buddha. Um, so that's that one. And then the third one is the Dharmakaya. And uh, Dharma, you know the meaning of the word Dharma, but Dharmakaya is um, the Buddha, um, the, uh, is the, the kind of principial uh, Buddhahood in a way that you can't see and you can't feel and you can't hear. It's the kind of the Buddha behind all the formations of the Buddha. Um, so those are the, the, that's the Trikaya doctrine. And uh, it's a very, very uh, useful way of uh, understanding the Buddha. So this morning we were exploring the Rupakaya, the Nirmanakaya, and this evening we'll, we'll really be exploring the Sambhogakaya, the, the body of, the, the Buddha of the body of bliss. Um, it's interesting that uh, um, one scholar, I think it's Rupert Gethin, I got this from uh, Nagapriya's wonderful book on the Mahayana called Visions of Mahayana, which is a really, really great book. I highly recommend that book. Unfortunately, it doesn't sell very well, but I just don't understand why not, because it's such a good book. It's really, really stimulating. But I had a quick look in there, and uh, he quotes, I think it's Rupert Gethin, as saying that um, uh, one way of understanding the Trikaya doctrine is that the first one, the Nirmanakaya, is the Buddha on earth. The second one, the Sambhogakaya, is the Buddha in heaven, in heaven in the Buddhist sense of um, uh, as you only see that Buddha when you're in jhana, uh, jhana to be in jhana is to be in heaven. It's the, it's the um, subjective counterpart of the heavenly realms. And the third one, the Buddha of the Dharmakaya, is the Buddha of eternity. Uh, not, again, as I was talking about this morning, not eternity in the sense of the Buddha living forever and ever and ever, but in the sense of being outside of time, the Buddha outside of time.
So that's the trichia doctrine. It's very uh, useful. Uh, idea actually but it's not really an idea remember because it comes from the um, Yogacharans who were great meditators so I think it more comes from their actual experience than some philosophical idea that they cooked up um, in a very intellectual kind of way and most of us who are involved in Sri Ratna we're, we're really really familiar with the idea of the Sambhogakaya Buddha and uh, probably one of the most used one of the, the the most familiar symbols in our movement is the five buddha mandala uh, which i'll just talk about very briefly but you if you've done level two buddhism you may have come across the the five buddha mandala um, and uh the the five buddhas are the uh, all of them buddhas of the sambhogakaya they're sambhogakaya buddhas which you don't see in ordinary life um, so i'll just describe those to you um, actually, the, the, the five Buddha mandala comes quite late in, in Buddhist history. It comes with the Vajrayana. Um, in Vajrayana, everything's in fives. And in Mahayana, everything's in threes, which we'll see a bit later on in the talk. But uh, the, the, the Vaj- uh, there were three Buddhas in the Mahayana, but that became five Buddhas in the Vajrayana. So in the five Buddha mandala, right at the center of the mandala, you've got... Uh, the pure white Buddha of Virochana. Virochana means the illuminator. He illuminates the whole universe. And uh, each one of these Buddhas doesn't only have a color, they also have a mudra, a gesture, and he, his gesture is teaching the Dharma, the Dharma chakra of the Pavatana mudra, rolling the wheel of the Dharma. And uh, he has a time of, well, they all have a time of day except Virochana, and he's omnipresent. So that's Virochana. And then uh, usually uh, in uh, Buddhist mythology, you you approach the mandala from the east because the east is when the sun comes up. So approaching the mandala from the east, the the Buddha in the east and quarter is uh, Akshobhya. And he's deep blue in colour, the the colour of the, the, the sky at dawn, I suppose. And he's associated with early morning. And then going round to the southern end of the mandala, you've got Ratnasambhava, who's um, a brilliant golden yellow, and he's the sun, the colour of the sun at midday. Ratnasambhava meaning uh, the, the, the jewel-born one, and he's, he's the Buddha of um, abundance, riches and abundance. In going round, then you've got the Buddha of the west, who is uh, Amitabha, and he's deep red in colour, the colour of the sun setting in the uh, in the west. And um, I'm, no, I'm not telling you everything here, but his mudra is the, the uh, meditation mudra, the jhana mudra. And the idea here is he's associated with the evening time when it's time to stop working and just start meditating. Uh, and then finally, you've got the uh, the Buddha of midnight, really, who is um, Amoga City, uh, unfailing success. That's what his name means, and he's deep green, dark green in colour. So those that that's the five Buddha mandala. I'm not going to say any more about that because I'm sure you've looked at it or you will do at some point in your if you stick around Tri Ratna, you'll probably look into it in some detail. But I just wanted to mention that they're very, very popular figures in our culture, you could say, in our tradition. And they are all of them Sambhogakaya Buddhas. And you don't really get to know them as people. It's not like trying to get, it's hard enough to get to know the, the historical Buddha as a person. You don't really get to know these 
Buddhist people, unless, of course, they they spontaneously arise in your meditation or in a dream and start speaking to you, as as does happen to some people. So that's the five Buddha mandala. And interestingly enough, you've got the five Buddha mandala, which you know you've got um, Moggasiddhi at the top there. And um, but then sometimes above them you have Vajrasattva, who is like above them all. So he's Vajrasattva in that sense is a little bit like the um, the Dharma Niyama Buddha above the Sambhogakaya Niyama Buddha. Although really literally speaking, strictly speaking, you can't really depict the Dharma Niyama because it's beyond all concepts. So. Um, I mentioned earlier the uh, Bantis paper where he talks about this idea of the Buddha beyond the Buddha. I should say actually that uh, I've slightly shortened that because Bhante is always very careful in his in his speech and, and he said the Buddha beyond as it were the Buddha. The Buddha beyond as it were the Buddha and I've just shortened that to the Buddha beyond the Buddha and I've mentioned that Bhante thinks that's associated with the Pure Land uh, sutras and uh, I just want to finish almost finish am I going to finish with this bit not quite no not quite finished penultimately I'm going to talk about the the Pure Land Sutras which as many of you know I've done a quite thorough detailed and in some depth um, study of the three Pure Land Sutras and uh, at the centre of it all is Amitabha the, the, the Buddha Amitabha who's not red in those sutras actually he's golden all Buddhas in Mahayana Sutras are golden Gold being the colour of the transcendental. It's because in, in India in those days it was the most precious metal, gold. So uh, the Buddhas, all Buddhas in Mahayana Sutras are golden in colour, and Amitabha in the Sutras is golden in colour. And uh, he's kind of at the centre of it all, but you don't really get to know him as a figure. Uh, He's said to be constantly teaching the Dharma. You don't hear any of the words he speaks as the Dharma. He's more like the silent Buddha who's supposed to be teaching the Dharma, but actually he doesn't seem to. Uh, in, in all three sutras, and two of them are really long, extended sutras, the Buddha only speaks once, and it's just to talk about a vow he made in the past, the vow to create Sukhavati, but he doesn't actually give any Dharma teachings. The teachings don't come from him. They come from Sukhavati, the land that he created, and they come from the birds in that land, and the rivers in that land, and the trees, and the bells in the trees in that land. That's where the, the Dharma all comes from those, the, the spoken Dharma, but Amitabha doesn't say anything really, he's just silently in the middle of it all. So he's a very enigmatic figure, he's actually absolutely central to the whole mythology and the legend of Sukhavati but he's silent all the way through and he doesn't really interact with you at all he doesn't interact with anybody in the in the in the pure land he's just there so he's very much like a principle and uh, one pure land scholar Kenneth Tanaka in a book called the dawn of Chinese pure land Buddhist doctrine says something very interesting he says um under this view, the Buddhist cosmos is not an objective and material, but a subjective and spiritual reality. Yeah, I'll just read that again. 
Under this view, the Buddhist cosmos is not an objective and material, but a subjective and spiritual reality. The transcendent Buddhas, that's the transcendent Buddhas is uh, Kenneth Tanaka's way of talking about the Buddha beyond the Buddha, the, the, the archetypal Buddha, the Sambhogakaya Buddha. The transcendent Buddhas and their realms that fill the universe are concretized expressions of the eternal Buddha principle, Dharma. So they're concretized expressions of the eternal Buddha principle, which as the basic reality of the universe is ever active to lead all beings to enlightenment. In other words, the universe is ever active to lead, um, sorry, the universe is the domain, uh, sorry, in other words, the universe is the domain of the Buddhas and is thus fashioned and sustained by their work to lead beings to enlightenment. So there's quite a, a, an interesting, well, a fascinating way of understanding the universe that we're in, especially nowadays in our very scientific understanding of the universe. What Tanaka is saying is, no, no, that's not it at all. It's actually, everything's really subjective and it's all the domain of the, the Buddhas. We're living in a Buddha universe. Um, course that doesn't really go along with the modern scientific understanding but that doesn't really matter uh doesn't matter to me anyway um yes so uh what i'm going to do now is i'm going to read you a couple of sections from one of those sutras it's a sutra called um sometimes people call it the amitaya jhana sutra uh, but i prefer it to call it its chinese name because uh it seems that it was written in chinese in China, in Chinese rather than Sanskrit. So I'm going to give it its abbreviated Chinese name, which is the Guanjing. Uh, Guan meaning to look, to see, um, uh, to visualize, and also to have insight. It means all of those things, Guan. And Jing means work or sutra. Yeah, so it's the, often it's translated, the, the abbreviated title is translated as the Contemplation Sutra or the Visualization Sutra, or sometimes even the Meditation Sutra. And it all begins with a, a terrible story of uh, the good king, uh, the good disciple of the Buddha, Bimbisara, being imprisoned by his son, Ajatasatru, who wants to take over the, the throne. And not only has he thrown his father into a dungeon, he's also starving him to death, so that he, when Bimbisara dies, Ajatasatru will become the king. And uh, the, the, the main hero or heroine of the story is um, Ajatasatru's concubine, the queen Vaidehi, who visits him every day in his dungeon and gives him something to eat, just a little something to eat. And uh, that keeps him going. But when Ajatasatru finds out that that's what Vaidehi's been doing, he, he's really angry and he draws his sword to kill her. Uh, but the, his ministers dissuade him from doing that. And instead, he throws her into a dungeon. So now they both had it, both of them. You know, they're, they're, they're in the depths of the dungeon and they're also in the depths of despair. There's nothing anyone can do for them now. So Vaidehi, we, we, I'm going to just, we're going to meet Vaidehi at this point. Um, the imprisoned Vaidehi, emaciated with worry, 
turns to face Vulture's Peak. That's where the Buddha was at that point. Bowed to the Buddha and said, The Blessed One, the Tathagata, used to send Ananda to comfort me. Now I am filled with anxiety and unease. As I am not able to gaze upon the face of the Blessed One, it is my heartfelt desire that the Venerable Modgalyayana and Ananda come to me here. Her tears fell like rain. She turned towards the far-off Buddha, bowed down in reverence and lay there unmoving. On Vulture's peak, the Blessed One understood Vaidehi's wish. He asked Maha Modgalyayana, as well as Ananda, to fly to her through the air. The Buddha himself vanished from Vulture's peak and appeared in the royal palace. That is to say, in Vaidehi's dungeon. So we're not in the realm of a historical Buddha here. We're in the realm of magic. We're in the realm of the Sambhogakaya Buddha. Vaidehi's... She's on the floor. And one of my... Uh, one of my ideas after I wrote the book... I was going through it again. And I thought... Oh, she's probably exhausted. She's probably absolutely exhausted with fear and anxiety and grief and betrayal she probably at the end of her tether she's probably fallen down asleep on the dungeon floor and perhaps the rest of the sutra is a dream sutra it's a kind of dream yoga maybe what happens now is the buddha appears to her in a dream that's a possibility i think it doesn't say that but i think that's maybe what's happening when vaidehi raised her head she saw the Blessed One, the Buddha Shakyamuni. His body was the colour of pure gold. And he was seated on a lotus flower made of a hundred different kinds of precious substances. Modgalyayana stood to his left and Ananda to his right. Chakra, Brahma, the protectors of the world, and all the other gods surrounded him in the air, showering him with heavenly flowers. So that's the vision that is afforded to Vaidehi. She sees the Buddha in the air in her dungeon, golden, on a lotus flower made of the hundred precious substances with two of his chief disciples, one to either side. There's the trinity again, the trio and with gods showering flowers on them. So she saw this in her dungeon. And the rest of the sutra is that Buddha, Shakyamuni, the Sambhogakaya, teaching her how to visualize Amitabha's Pure Land. So that's what the sutra's all about, really. Anyway, halfway through this teaching, this happens. He's teaching. And then the text says, as he spoke these words, the Buddha Amitayas, Amitayas being another word for Amitabha, appeared in the air above him, above the Buddha, with the two great beings, Avalokiteshvara and Mahastama Prapta, on either side. They were blazing with light, so brilliant that it was impossible to see them properly. Even the radiance of gold from the Jambu River multiplied a hundred thousand times 
could not compare with it. So now you've got vision upon vision. You've got this visionary Buddha floating in the air in her dungeon, teaching Vaidehi how to visualize Sukhavati. And halfway through this, you get Amitabha suddenly appearing above Shakyamuni with his two great disciples, but they're all so bright that you can, can't really see them. They're above the Buddha. And this seems to me to be a pictorial, imaginal uh, way of talking about the different levels of Buddhahood. This really is the Buddha beyond the Buddha. In fact, the Buddha Shakyamuni, as he appears in Vaidehi's dungeon, is already the Buddha beyond the historical Buddha. And now we've got Amitabha, who's in some sense the Buddha beyond that Buddha. Uh, you could go on infinitely, I suppose. So that's the vision. And then the rest of the sutra, Shakyamuni carries on teaching, and all the time Amitabha is above him like that. So this is a wonderful, for me, it's just an amazing, imaginative, imaginative experience exposition, oh, I can't think of the word, of um, the levels of Buddhahood. Just really quite wonderful. But time is getting on, and I promise this would not be a long talk. So I'm going to finish with a sutra which is fairly well known to us in the movement. It's one of the three Mahayana sutras that Sangrachta has really introduced us to by giving series of lectures on them. This is the Sutra of Golden Light the Sutra of Golden Light, and the Buddha in that Sutra is gold and he emanates light. And I'm just going to read you a couple of sections from the end of that Sutra, and then we'll finish. Lord of Sages, you are gloriously adorned with thousands of enchanting virtues. You possess the marks of hundreds of merits. With your sumptuous complexion, you appear supremely serene as 1,000 suns shining forth with dazzling light. Blazing with myriad rays, you are engulfed with light, resplendent with colour, like jewels of blue and white, gold, lapis, copper and dawn crystal light. You illuminate tens of millions of worlds and soothe their fierce suffering you satisfy beings with supreme peace your complexion and six sense powers are bright and beautiful to behold your form is a joy for beings to constantly see enchantingly beautiful your hair the color of a peacock shines as a lotus filled with bees. I'm going to read that bit again. Enchantingly beautiful, your hair, the colour of a peacock, shines as a lotus filled with bees. Gloriously radiant like a fire's glowing light, you resemble the full solar orb in the sky. Endowed with all virtue, as is Mount Sumeru, you are magnanimous in every world's sphere. Homage to the Buddha, who is possessed of an utterly immaculate mind, and presides over an utterly flawless Dharma. 
perfectly knowing existence and non-existence, his sublime mind is freed from evil karma's paths. How amazing! The Buddha's splendour is boundless. How amazing! It is like the ocean and Mount Sumeru. How amazing! The Buddha's field of activity is endless. How amazingly compassionate is the Tathagata, the pinnacle of the Shakya kings, a son among lords of men, that he has expounded such a sublime sutra as this in order to nurture and guide all beings. With his senses serene, the Tathagata Shakyamuni has entered the city of peace most sublime. So profound, calm and pure is your concentration. You abide in the victorious Buddha's domain of experience. In this way, the bodies of Shravakas, that is, Shravakas are disciples, the bodies of Shravakas are empty. The most sublime of humans dwells in emptiness too. All of these phenomena are empty by nature. Those lacking empty nature are not found at all. <coughs> Constantly planting my knees on the ground, in sorrowful thirst, I long for the conqueror. <coughs> in a pitiful voice, I sob for the leader. Deeply thirsty for the Sugata's sight, I remain. As I incessantly blaze with anxiety's fire, bestow upon me the cooling, cooling water of your sight. Thus, the bodies of Shravakas are empty. All beings by nature are like in a dream, <coughs> like space and the nature of space, an illusion, a mirage or the moon reflected in water. O Buddha, you are endowed with the great empty. <coughs>